Welcome to this episode of Conversations with the Candidates. Conversations with the Candidates is a quick series on the Stories We Tell podcast that will spotlight the candidates running for city mayor. This year there are five candidates running. Uh, four have committed to episodes as of now. And today we'll be speaking with Daryl Hubbard, who has been city court clerk for a while. Uh, but prior to taking that position, Daryl found himself coming to West Tennessee to help start the West Tennessee School for the Deaf. I remember Daryl playing church league basketball with my dad when I was in middle school. I would go to their games and I would watch him play. And that has been sort of my long lasting memory uh, of Mr. Hubbard. And when I saw that he was running for mayor, uh, all I could remember is that that nice jump shot he had from the baseline uh, all those years ago. But over the course of our conversation, I learned a lot more about him. I learned that he is passionate about the criminal justice system. I learned that he is passionate about his community. And I gained a little insight as to why he feels it is his time uh, to run for mayor and to lead Jackson. So we hope you enjoy this episode of Conversations with the Candidates with mayoral candidate Daryl Hubbard. Grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. That explains your Wolverines. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, so, uh, so you grew up in Detroit. How yes, did you sir. Grew up in Jackson. Actually, I went to a school at Knoxville, at Knoxville College, at HBCU in Knoxville, Tennessee. And when I graduated from college, uh, I started working at the Tennessee School for the Deaf. Okay. And then they said, "We want to open up a school in Jackson. Do you mind going there and open up the school in Jackson?" And I said, "Of course." So had you ever been to Jackson? Never before? been to Jackson before. So you're in Knoxville. I'm in Knoxville. I've been through here. Okay. Going to Memphis and maybe Arkansas. So you weren't surprised at how flat it was then when Not really, because right. I'm you know, Detroit's flat too, so I, I kinda like point. that. Anytime anybody ever asks me where I'm from, I say Tennessee and they always start talking about the mountains and I'm like, Nah, man, I'm on the flat, <laughs> flat side. Yes. It's, the, it's the less entertaining side of, of Tennessee. Oh, I love the flatness because you like the because okay. I had a I had a stick shift and boy in Knoxville driving a stick shift could be very very interesting yes so what made you want i guess you said the hbcu in mm -hmm. knoxville. knoxville yes knoxville College. is that what is that what brought you to the south from Detroit? yes yes um i had a, bro a younger brother who uh was playing football at the time at knoxville college i was working at chrysler on the assembly line and he said man this is beautiful down here he said why don't you come down because i want to be a basketball player and so i said sure so Chrysler had a layoff like in January, December, around Christmas time. So I said, I can go down here and see if I like it. And then if I don't, I can come on back and, and continue this occupation. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> so speaking of basketball, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember, and I think I told you this when you and I were on Cor Corey Curry's show. Yes, sir. Back in like about a year ago. I remember you playing church league with my dad. Yes, sir. I was little. Yes. I was like, I, but I remember your name <laughs> that whole time. You played guard. You could shoot. Yes. I was like, I, that's how I know Daryl Hubbard, and it's from Calvary Baptist. Calvary Baptist, yes. yes we basketball. Were, I'm pretty sure we were the champions now. I can't. Probably. I can't swear to that, but I think we were the champions. So you still play at all? No. Oh, you no. hung that up? Hung that up a long time ago. I try to coach. The, I'm still coaching a little bit, but. No longer playing. I might ref every now and then, but now nah, the game's the game's past me. I uh, I turned forty three 
last October, and okay. I still play a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I played up until I was about 37 or 30. I was playing full court all the time. Full Just court play, in the 35 minute league in Bolivar. I played in that one year. Okay. And then I used to play at the Y here when it was open. Yes, I played at the Y all the time. Man, I loved the I Y. I loved the Y. Yeah, we had a, had a nice little thing. But now on. I get out there and I, I usually just play half court at the lift, and it's with guys in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, half cars half court to me is harder than full court in a lot grind. of times because you got to stay with your man on both sides and you can't even nope. separate. I know there's, so no, there's no there's no resting in, <laughs> in half court. It's like, no not as much running, but you don't stop. No, yeah, you don't stop. That's the thing. So after you you moved to Jackson, mm-hmm. um, how long did it take you to sort of get involved in the political scene in Jackson, or would you consider yourself even involved in the political scene? I was not really. Uh, Involved in the political scene, I don't know if you remember, I wrote a column for the Jackson Sun. And when I wrote my column, of course, you know, when you write, people say, man, you ought to run for something. You ought to run for something. And i like, eh, I don't know. And so finally, somebody, and I can't remember who I said, well, why don't you run for city court clerk? You know, it was a picture. I think Linda Higgins was the city court clerk at the time. And she decided she was going to run for a circuit court clerk. So it was an a empty position. So I said, I'll try that. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it entailed. Didn't even know what being elected official meant. And so I ran for it, and luckily it was like six of us, and I won, and I avoided a runoff, which made, well, five or six of us, which made it even more, made me even more happy because I didn't want to be in a runoff. Right. So I won the runoff, and the thing about city court was that of all the court clerks here, it, it paid the least. And uh, we got general jurisdiction, which increased the workload, but I was still the lowest pay, paid clerk and Jackson, which I did that for about four terms. And Mayor Gist offered me a little raise to open up an environmental court. He said, I will, you know, give you a, a raise if you will do the environmental court. And I said, sure, I'll do it, you know, take a raise. And then maybe two terms ago, I, I finally got the same pay as the rest of the clerks. And that's when everything started happening <laughs> so back up real quick tell me because this may be a dumb question what it, what are the responsibilities of the city court clerk the city court clerk is responsible the job is supposed to entail running the court like supervising making sure you know timesheets are done uh money's turned in uh, employees are doing what they're supposed to do the job actually morphed into i became a clerk so for about 20 years I could not take off work because um, we were short staff. So, and then eight of those years, I worked every day because we did a, what we did. We did a, um, we did court via the, the internet mm-hmm. and some video arraignments. And so, because it's, I don't know if you ever want to go down there. I'll take you one one morning. It's eight eight o'clock in the morning, and everybody who's been arrested the previous day and on Mondays, everybody who's been arrested Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday will be in arraignments. And it is very, very um, difficult. It, I'm not going to say the job, the heart, the people are upset. They're angry. Some of them are have mental illnesses. And I didn't want my ladies to go down there because I didn't think it was, I mean, I'm not a chauvinist or anything, but I didn't think it was a, a proper environment for ladies to go to. So I, I took it upon myself to make sure that every day that I went, maybe once or twice, one of them had to go, like maybe if I let, went out of town or had, a, had something wrong which was rare. So I'm going to say for the last 20 years, I probably missed six days. Wow. So, so. All right, here's a question you might can answer. And if you mm-hmm. can, it's okay. No, no, it just fine. popped in my head. 
I've, I've been, and I've written a couple of columns about this, I've been concerned with the amount of people that we jail yes. in Jackson, in Madison County. Yes. But I never could find the data that shows what people are being jailed for. So is it, and now obviously I am all for, if someone's a violent offender, if they're yes. a danger to society, yes. they probably need to be separated from society. Mm-hmm. However, are a lot of our people that we are jailing for things like driving on a suspended license, mm-hmm. um, small amounts of drugs or paraphernalia, yes. like nonviolent offenses is right. what I'm saying. Is is that what you've seen or is that? When I first started this job, Gabe, I was, I consider myself a conservative, very conservative as far as, you know, people getting in trouble. It was their own fault. Once I got to be the city court clerk, I saw the systematic injustices, and this is also something that caused caused me a lot of grief because I'm like you. I'm like, why are we jailing these people and taking up the county, the taxpayer dollars for a driving charge? So, of course, I became kind of vocal. I wrote a couple of books about it, just like, what are we doing here? And I think I may have ticked. This is this is where the drama began, and it's, it was with driver's licenses. So what? What I do, say, for instance, you came in and said, Mr. Hubbard, I got court, this is this may be Friday, I've got court Tuesday, but my driving test is Wednesday. What can I do? And rather than um, waste the court's time, I said, well, just I'll reschedule your court to the next Tuesday. I was, res- I was setting the court dates anyway, which nobody understood. I'm the one who set the court dates, so the people in charge got a little upset with me and saying that I was helping people my office basically said my office was helping people and i was violating some some tca code by giving people extra court dates and this is when kind of the drama started this is what the driver's license is what started the drama in my office the raids too but the driver's license is, is was that i was not adhering to policy as far as giving people a little extra time which in in the future I'm 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 gonna be the one that was right. Right. In in reality, let's say you'd have kept that court date exactly the same. Mm-hmm. They would have gone in there yes. without the license. They would have had another like a some hefty fine levied against mm-hmm. them or put in jail, and then another. Uh, we would we would we would no we would we would if they if they were found guilty at that time they would be put on probation. They would have another strike against their license, which would set them back sometimes two years in order to be eligible again. When they were actually eligible a week from now, didn't make sense to me. And, of course, I'm not a lawyer, so uh, the prosecutors thought that I was doing something that was in violation of TCA code, such, 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 such. When in reality, you were just trying to help. I'm just trying. It made sense. So. If a week from now you're going to be completely legal, yes. Why not? Why not do it? And you now? got paperwork saying this is my look. This is my. I'm I'm going to get them uh, Wednesday, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense to even have you in here, and risk risk you getting in more trouble when we could ameliorate this with just a change of court dates. And, and I can tell you this from experience: a suspended license. Uh, a license that is is expired or out of date, whatever it is, not everyone 
has the means or the privilege to be able to just go and schedule an appointment with the DNV mm-hmm. and get that set up without possibly losing work hours, which means losing money, which could possibly lead to losing more hours down the road. That happened to me before. Mm-hmm. That, what I mean is I got pulled over and I was driving on suspension. Yes. Police officer said, I'm not supposed to let you go, mm-hmm. but I'm going to let you go. Right. Show up to court the next morning. Yes, that that's that's what we call arraignments. I yeah. go in the next morning. Mm-hmm. I get lectured at by I forgot what judge it was. It's mm-hmm. 2011. I got a hefty fine against me, and then I went and I got my license. Right. However, I was flexible enough to do that. I was a teacher at the time. I took a personal day. Mm-hmm. I had the money to cover it. It was still a lot. Right. It still it still made my my paycheck tight that pay period. That's the thing. But I couldn't imagine. If I was a person of maybe lesser means, if I had a more restrictive job that didn't allow me to do that. Or you had to pay something on the front end in order to get back where you were. A lot of people owe old fines and they come in and they pay their old fine, which then makes them eligible to get their license. So if they didn't have the money and they went in there without the money, it'd be a crapshoot. Who knows? Just depending on on the situation, how how. People are feeling that day whether you get another chance. Sometimes they would give you another chance, and sometimes they would not. It just it just depends. Really? So yeah, it's just there wasn't much consistency. It, it, well, the court system, that. the court system as it as it exists, is doesn't have any rhyme or reason. That's what I like to say. It doesn't have any rhyme or reason. So, as as a former conservative, believing that this these people deserve what they got, and then to see it firsthand and be like. No, this isn't this isn't how it's supposed to be. I know I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, I'm not a prosecutor, but something is inherently wrong here. I think firsthand experience of anything, mm-hmm. unless you have that, unless you're in a position like you are where you, where you see it happening on a daily basis, unless you experience it, it's very hard to understand the realities that go into something mm-hmm. like that. And it's not an excuse for the, for the lawmakers who make these laws, but at the same time, it's almost like this willful, willful ignorance on their part mm-hmm. where they just want to continue to drop this hammer without thinking about the intricacies of and, something. Like and that. then you find out that the lawmakers are being lobbied by the prisons to basically be consistent in these laws that keep people incarcerated because they make more money doing it the wrong way than they would being fair and equitable. So the the lawmakers tend to side with the lobbyists from well CCA, I don't know I don't know what it is now. That and I somebody said that they had to they wouldn't even sign the contract unless they were guaranteed a certain number of inmates. Wow. And so when you when you start discovering that stuff and then what happens is that you develop these personal relationships with people because like I said, I'm in the jail with you. I'm sitting just close to you. And you're saying, Mr. Hubbard, I know you, you know, you used to coach me. And I'm like, yeah, I know you was a good kid. And I'm like, what are we doing? And right now, this system is in bad need of an overhaul. But it's probably going to be 20 or 30 years before we get it even close to right. Because it's for so long. It's been so long. It's been broken. Uh Turning it around will take. It will take take a major effort. It would take somebody, um, a charismatic Figure and I would use Donald Trump as now. If Donald Trump came along and said we need to get everybody their license, probably would be a, a change. It has to. It's gonna have to be somebody charismatic and compassionate and and have has enough political clout 
to do it. And the willpower, just like we saw what happened in Nashville with, with the three three legislators, I mean, the, the the they don't have the motivation to make any changes. And many people say because of the, because of the gun lobby, I don't, I'm I'm not in there. I'm running for mayor, so I'm I'm not in that in that fight. But yeah, it's gonna have to be, and that's one of the things that that I want to focus on as the mayor is to try to get the Jackson Police Department and the community on the same page. Where Gabe, they pull if they see you riding at night and your say for instance your tail light is out, I shouldn't have to pull you over and ask you all these personal questions because it's a tail light. I should say. Mr. Hart, did you know your right tail light was out? I think you need to get that fixed. Now, I'm not going to give you a citation this time, but if I see you again, I'm going to have to cite you. That's This is what America should be about. It shouldn't be, where's your license and registration? Get out the car. This is how, if, if you watch a lot of the shootings and, and police shootings on motorists, it is about trivial traffic stops. These A lot of these people aren't breaking any major laws. They're not flying down the street. They're they're simple laws like tail lights, headlights, sometimes window tent, seat belt. It's just the contact with the police and the public should be uh, very sincere. I mean, if I pull you over as an officer, I should you should be breaking a law. I mean, not and, and these I mean, we know about planned obsolescence how how uh car manufacturers make bulbs that'll go out. And many people don't know their bulbs are out. I mean, you just so that happens, and you don't know, and I pull you over, and all of a sudden, you and I are in a, in a confrontation when all I had to say was, Mr. Hart, uh, you know your right taillight is out. Uh, uh, you get that fixed and move on. Right. And it, it almost feels like, and I don't want to equate policing to managing a classroom because one of those scenarios is a life and death situation. Mm-hmm. One I'm in every day is not. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously, Maybe. Things are going on <laughs> the way they're school, going, yes. However, it does feel like classroom management 101 says mm-hmm. don't make a minor problem a major issue that's exactly so you right address a behavior and if it's not hindering learning mm-hmm. or if it's not hinder like i guess endangering the safety of the class then you just discuss it you redirect and, and move, move and move on and I, i'll give you a perfect example and this is this happened at liberty where the young girl wouldn't get off the bus and they threw her off and 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 my World. I, I, taught, I taught a class called Systematic Training for Effective Parenting because I work with young people. And I had I went to Kentucky to teach a conference because they were saying, Mr. Hubbard, how are you running this school and you don't have any problems? And this is what I would have told a young lady. Young lady, you have a choice. You can get off the bus today or I'm going to cancel your bus for the rest of the semester. Now, you make the decision. You can you can do it however you want to. I'm giving you a choice. That's what I did with my children. You, you got a choice to to get off the bus right now or your bus is canceled it works because they have a choice and i'm sure that young lady would have probably said hmm i guess i better get off you don't have to you don't have to grapple with them and wrestle with them this is the kind of training that we should have when especially with young people because give them a choice even though it is not how we were raised because i didn't have a choice when my mama said get off get your butt in the house I didn't have a, she didn't say uh, you got a choice of coming to the house. It was getting the house. But t- today we have to deal, this is a different generation. And, and, and I'm not sure it'll work with this generation right now. They'll probably tell you. <laughs> yeah, they probably 
since I've been teaching, which has just been 20 years, mm-hmm. it's changed. Even mm-hmm. in the span that I've been teaching, it's definitely changed since I was a student mm-hmm. where I was like you. Somebody said, do this, you just did it. Yeah. yeah. And it's changed. And I, But I do go back to your point, interpersonal relationships now are the most important. Yes. Right? And it's easier to do in a classroom as a teacher. you get got the same kids every single day. You can build that relationship mm-hmm. with them. And it's still going to be rocky. Obviously, policing you don't see. now you do end up probably seeing the same people a lot oh and you man. can de- oh, and maybe man. start oh. to develop some of that but it is it is a, di- a different animal i want to i want to bring up something that mm-hmm. you mentioned in the uh, debate that we hosted uh, about a month ago you said you read nickel boys yes by colson loved it uh, the ending was did you check the in and out had no idea oh, that he wasn't Elwood. Yes. I, well, <laughs> towards the end, I was like, I feel like he might be. And then when I realized that, I, and I told you the debate, like yeah. I cried right after I read it because yeah. it does, it speaks to what you've been talking about. But it was incarceration at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And he was he was wrongfully incarcerated. And this is what we're saying. This is another reason I'm saying this because every time somebody is arrested or charged doesn't mean they're guilty. Our system operates on the premise now that if, if I call the police and say, Gabe, hit me, they're going to operate on the premise that you hit me. Mm-hmm. They're not going to uh, assume that maybe I'm a liar. Right. They're not going to assume that maybe it didn't happen as I said. If I call the police and say, you hit me, they're going to start. And the system basically operate, begins to operate on the premise that you hit me. Yeah, I wrote an article for, the, for this website a couple weeks ago, and it was about the I, I think mugshots should stop being publicly posted that was that was the i agree right and because what what happens and it kind of ties everything that we've talked about back in mm-hmm. let's say there's 10 mugshots one day posted on wbj and when i would go look at those and this is an unofficial experiment eight or nine of those would be for things like driving driving some suspended life that's our biggest failure to appear that's our biggest and so those are things that are not threats to society. No. But they have their picture right there mm-hmm. on the front of, for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. They are presumed guilty before they are innocent. That yes. is what you see. This is before And, and you never you never get even after you're found not guilty, getting that mugshot back, getting it off of Oh, it's a who's got time or money? I mean it, yeah, it's it's it, so here I am running for mayor and um, somebody stopped somebody that was supporting me. They had on a button or something. Said, "Why is Daryl running? He's he's in that office. There's so much corruption going. You remember that girl got caught for stealing? In some people's mind, she's guilty, even though she went to court, was found not guilty, got everything halfway settled. But many people, because they saw the mugshot, they saw the story, and nobody would print a retraction. Only the Jackson Sun did print a retraction. The, the other radio stations, the other media. I think it was the Metro Forum." did did a, a retraction and maybe maybe it was somebody did but not everybody so people still think that that my office is is somehow uh corrupt and we're still in i think that speaks to the way media operates now as well and and obviously we're being sponsored by 96.5 mm-hmm. which is media and mm-hmm. we're guilty of it too where there's a story and it's hot and we we report it or we comment on it or whatever but the way culture is now, we move on from things so fast and we never follow up. We and never get the length of the story. So all we remember is that highly emotionally charged situation, mm-hmm. person arrested, mugshot, 
bump, and then it sticks. Then it's and it's no matter. You, we how move it on. Plays out. We move. We on. move on. We move on. So, bringing this to you, running for mayor, mm-hmm. what what made you decide to say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get the petition, I'm gonna get my signatures, and I, I'm I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring for mayor of Jackson. I don't know if you were here in 2018. I put a petition to run for mayor. I was gonna run for mayor, and that was that was my ultimate goal. That was before Scott got in. However, Jerry beat me to the punch. He 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 had announced. He I don't even know if he had put up. He had announced he was running. So when I pulled my petition, people were calling me and saying, "What are you doing? You know, this is Jackson. Two black men gonna split the black vote. You're 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 just. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you just let Jerry run? And against my better instincts i said you know what okay i just got out of one grueling campaign it's no use in really trying to jump to another grueling campaign especially if people feel this strongly about it so i i did i let let jerry run i put i didn't turn in my petition or either i, I withdrew it one or the two i can't remember the end but i i let it i let him have it i was i was planning on running for mayor that was my ultimate goal and so this time, of course, the same. Jerry, I I wasn't listening this time. I was gonna I was gonna go ahead and do it because I remember history. I remember what happened, and I remember how it worked out. So I said, um, I've got to do something because if if I don't, history's just gonna repeat itself. You mentioned that you know in two thousand, whenever you pull eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen, nineteen, yeah. What's one of those? Um, that you got some pushback. You said the well, the you know black community can split votes between you and Jerry. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that. Uh, as as a white person, who I sort of know what my concerns are, and the people that I'm around most of the time, uh, I sort of know what their concerns are. When you said that you would split the black vote, mm-hmm. how how tied are race and votes i guess from the black community and then i guess the reason why i'm asking that what what does the black community want to see in a leader i think the black community wants strong honest leadership they want someone who is not afraid to speak out when they see something that's wrong um they are pretty much in my opinion tired of going along to get along we and I hope the white community feels the same way. The status quo, if it's good, okay. But if the status quo is shaky and you see some things that are happening and I see some things that are happening in Jackson that I'm pretty sure if I'd done it, it would make it would make the news. If I was being sued in federal court, how many how many days do you think that would that would be in the papers? If somebody in my office mishandled 500 600 i don't know how many hundred thousand there's nobody really talking don't you think don't you know i would have went to jail gay honestly between me and you i would have went to jail but in this system certain people don't go to jail and it's not fair it's not so is it something because representation i think is so important there's never been an african-american no city or county uh, I believe you said in your bio that you were the first and only and only full time elected official in Jackson's history. Now, we had a county sheriff and we had a judge pride that ran a mm-hmm. three county 
he won a three county election. But Jackson, the city of Jackson, has never had a full time elected official, except for myself. And so here, here's where I think, and I, I feel very comfortable saying this, and people who are white who are listening to this are going to get so torn up in their feelings about what I'm about to say. That's a perfect example of privilege in that me as a white person, I've never even had to think about the fact that every mayor in the Madison County history or the city of Jackson has been like me, a mm-hmm. white male, right? Yes. That's, that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. I never had to think about that because that's just the way it's always been. Yes. That's privilege. When you don't have to think about those things <laughs> because that's the way they right. always are, that's that's the definition of privilege. Mm-hmm. I am privileged not to have to worry about that. I am privileged because I have always had what I feel is representation. Mm-hmm. I'm a white man. That, that, that is the majority of leadership in the county commission. That's and the majority of leadership in the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not saying that you should elect somebody solely on race. But right. what I'm saying is there is a part of the community that has never had someone who's looked like them mm-hmm. in an ultimate and, leadership and, and, elected and, and, position. And this is, this is what I found out. And I, and I hate to rehash a little history. When the lady in my office was arrested, of course, I knew she was in it cause I, innocent because I worked there. And I know the, the I knew her personally. I knew the inner workings of the office. And, and the mere fact that the, the the alleged victim testified that he didn't give her any money. And I had that on, you know, that was in the discovery that, that, that they turned over to the attorneys. And I got a copy of it because, of course, I like to read. So I read through it, and I said, she's obviously not guilty. But when I went to the black community looking for someone who had enough clout or, or a voice to go and say, hey, guys, what are y'all doing? It was nobody. There was nobody. Well, okay, let me ask you this, too, because we talk about this, or I've talked about this with people that I'm friends with, mm-hmm. um, and we need to raise up leaders. Yes. And, and so what do you think? Do you think it's apathy? Do you think what do, what do you think it is about not having as many people who are interested in these positions who are African-American? I think African-Americans have become so um, disillusioned with the political structure that they feel like it doesn't matter. Like you said, the same way you feel like, you know, white, you always, black people feel like, what's the use of voting? It's a white guy going to win, ain't the use of me going out there and, and, and putting in my vote. It's going to stay the same. Nothing's going to change. And so the apathy is, is apparent that they just don't believe that. Look at Obama. When Obama ran for president, did you see the, the, the excitement of black people about politics first time I've ever seen it first time and I was I was a Republican before he ran I, I, I was strongly with the Republican Party but knowing what what my parents went through and my mother's still alive and to see the, the excitement in her voice talking about it there was no way I could I could vote Republican I just couldn't and it it, it, it some people say, "Oh, that's 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 you're you're being racial." No, this was this was a chance at history for for a whole people. It was a chance for us to say, "Look, it can happen." And I thought that that would be a springboard to, like you said, more more minorities, women getting involved in politics. But it was just eight years, and then it fizzled. It fizzled. Yeah. It fizzled. 
And I think that, and that's what, like, what you just spoke about. And I've seen, I know Colin Powell was was a lifelong Republican, yes. but then he voted also, and I think 08 and mm-hmm. in, in 12 for President Obama. It's that representation. Mm-hmm. It's having someone that you're like, okay, this this person probably has the same experiences growing up that I had. And that is something that is so vital and so important. And again, something that somebody like me doesn't ever think about. And I, it's more to me, it was also more about, it was about two things to me. It was about the older people who never believed that they would live to see that. And about the younger people who were so disillusioned for them to say, and, and I, I had to go around to a lot of schools when he won and say, wait a minute, y'all got on these Barack Obama t-shirts. Have you read his books? Have you read? I told my class the exact same thing. Because that was my first year teaching. And they were so excited. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, like this guy has a lot to offer. Uh, Read his books. Did you read his books? And and I read both of his books and I enjoyed them. And and I had to tell because just to be excited because someone is the same skin color as you is, is not enough. You have to have an idea of what kind of man. This guy was a, he was a role model. And that's what I was loving. He was a role model, and um, I had they found any no. uh, any documents in this? No, I mean, he, <laughs> that's right. Trump, Biden, they got him in a garage or something. But President Obama, I, for no. so he 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 stayed. He managed to stay clean, and um, I was proud of that. As as an African American male, I was proud of the fact that I didn't know it would go south as quickly as it went. You don't have a theory on that, and we probably don't even need to get into yeah. it. But I, I mean, I, I do feel like whatever, because he was so progressive, he was the first African-American president. He was also socially so progressive. Mm-hmm. So many great things happened under his leadership yes. from a social standpoint mm-hmm. that there was going to be this fierce and swift backlash. And, 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 this is, and, and we got we, we got, got, we got, we got. We got. <laughs> so, I, I was disappointed in, in uh, President Obama because one of our, his platform, one I thought his platforms would be, was to try to restructure the criminal justice system. I thought he should have pardoned a lot of low-level drug dealers. I was so proud of Donald Trump when he pardoned that lady who who got a life sentence, first-time offender for for dis, distribution distribution yeah. of of cocaine. I want to say it was. I mean, what are we doing? I, mean, I was going to say you could people could argue that that Trump did more for the criminal justice system <laughs> than, w- than Obama. I did. would agree, and you know, and I, Lord, I can't stand Trump, yeah, yeah. A, but I can also recognize like he did. He 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 did the end, do more for that aspect. He did, and I, I was I was actually proud of him, and I thought, see, this is what this is what I'm talking about. Why are we not addressing the elephant in the room? There's an elephant in the room, and it's called criminal justice system it is the elephant in the room and if you read michelle alexander new jim crow and you read a lot of these books that are coming out there was a lady a, a young lawyer in nashville she was arrested at 18 or 19 for distributing drugs she she said she didn't know what she was getting packages from her boyfriend who she thought owned the phone company and they they gave her like six or seven years and she wrote a book and the judge told her she's 18 19 years old that there's some kind of rule that says well, you should have known and gave her all that time. And I'm like, how how are we so comfortable ruining people's lives, especially for, for possession of drugs? We have to admit there's a there's a market for it. Sure. And if 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 one person don't do it, somebody else going to do it. But once we do get them in the system, 
we can't give them life. I know, working in the court system, I know murderers who are out. And we have people in jail for driving. Something's wrong there. Because I'm, I'm of the opinion, once you kill somebody, pretty much you've broken the social contract. Right. And uh, there's no, there should be no probation or, or parole or 15 years. Because I guarantee you, if a guy came in here right now and shot me, he'll probably get 15 to 20. If he shot you, 50 years. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And I think it's important, too, because there's always this reaction by the other side, whoever, mm -hmm. quote, unquote, the other side is. When people are talking about criminal justice issues and wanting to do common sense things to mm -hmm. fix the system, then that narrative Get spun around. To soft on crime. To soft on crime. But that's yeah, not the issue. Crime. Like no. we both agree, if you are a danger and a threat to society, bye. And and that also, in my opinion, goes for some of the big dealers who are right the, with the, the kingpins. The, the, the kingpins. Let's. Yes. But you know how many kingpins Jackson arrest? There ain't many. No, we don't get. We don't get. <laughs> we don't get the kingpins here. Right. And I had this is nothing. I had one friend, and he's a good friend of mine. His brother was arrested for being a kingpin. They gave him thirty years. Saying that he was kingpin. The guy was homeless. <laughs> was homeless. Now, what kind of kingpin is homeless? Not a very good one. If you're homeless <laughs> and you're kingpin, then you're probably not moving. And, and I, I was telling the attorney when she had she had a, a, a client that was accused of selling drugs, but he was really a, a, a crackhead. I said, you know, monkeys can't sell bananas. So these people, a lot of these people are getting sent up for years. They're just abusers. Mm. They're not really drug dealers because they they they're using most of the. It, it's an it's such an interesting balance too, and and it's probably a whole conversation that we could get into. I, I listened to the mayor of San Francisco who has who is taking heat from both sides, mm -hmm. both sides. Like one side is saying she's too soft on crime, one side the, the San Francisco liberals are saying well she's too soft. Too, or no, I'm sorry, too, she's too hard, hard on, on crime. crime. The, the middle of the road There's people are saying she's too, too soft, soft on, on crime, crime, and she's trying her best to balance what you just mm -hmm. said. How do we take care of addicts right. without punishing them, mm -hmm. but also get to the point where we have to maybe like remand them to a facility because if we don't, they're going to hurt they're themselves gonna hurt or, or somebody, somebody else. else. So it's it's always that fine line. Like you can't, you can't jail all of them, mm -hmm. but then you also have to walk that line of— And this is the problem. When we're talking about people arrested for driving and some possession and drug paraphernalia, I've had people they buy it at the store now. They said, and you get caught with it, and it's you know it's paraphernalia. If we get, and I wrote I wrote about it in the book. If if we if we confuse the serious with the messy, we make a serious mess. We're we're running this assembly line. We're running this, in my court. I mean, they said we have fifty two. 100 cases that doesn't even include the drive cases so we have all these cases that we have to dispose of on a daily basis and it has to be done in assembly line fashion because nobody's gonna stay all night so when you when you're dealing with with say for instance somebody's got a driving license charge and they decide they don't want to plead guilty they're going to tie up the court mm -hmm. for who knows how long so if we could eliminate the silly from the serious, we could focus on the serious. Now, I just heard today and that Jackson so far in April has had nine homicides. Nobody's talking about it, and I think that's part of this political process to keep keep it down. I don't know if they're trying to make sure that people are not running scared 
or they're trying to protect certain candidates. But if it's true that we had nine homicides, I, I don't have a verification because I got it from a, I'm not going to say, a, I'm going to say a semi-reliable source, okay. somebody who, who knows a lot more than I do about what's going on in, as far as policing in this community. If we've had nine homicides, why, why is nobody talking about it? Who are we protecting? What are we protecting? Because I think the community needs to, to know that this is April and we've had nine homicides. Is this, from what you said, from what you heard, is this so far this year or just within the month of April? This year. Okay. Yeah, this year. Um, it, it, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, we had 13 one year. And we started, we started the crime marches. That's what got us mm -hmm. started on the crime marches. And I did that for like 13 years. Every Friday, me, Charlene, Johnny, and a few other of us would, would meet every Friday. Sometimes Chief Staples would meet with us, and sometimes public figures would meet. And we would march every Friday up a hope, down with dope, you know, and try to walk, mark, walk through the communities and try to at least say that, that something is wrong here. And if we do, if we have had nine homicides, I think that should be part of the discussion of what is going on. Right. And as a teacher, you know what I'm saying when I say it, when I'm saying our kids have no clue. They have no clue. And and I grew up not even knowing what a mayor was. And one of my platforms is to go to every school in the city and at least try to, not Barack Obama, because I mentioned his name and mine in the same sense, is <laughs> disrespectful, but to let them know, hey, this can happen. This is These opportunities are out here if you follow the rules. If you do, and I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but if you understand that, who you hang with sometimes can determine your life expectancy. And and like somebody said at the funeral I went to, it was an overdose this weekend. A good friend of mine's daughter overdosed. And one of the young ladies said that her grandfather told them, old people will die, but young people may die. And I thought, wow, that's a very interesting thing. And I think young people don't understand that. Old people are going to die, but young people may die. And that's where... That's where the tragedy evolves. When when parents are bearing children, that's not a good thing. Right. And it's interesting because I do think young people have this this idea of invincibility. Mm -hmm. um, they they're reactive. They they're spontaneous and emotional. Making they're mm -hmm. emotional. And I see that on a you know every day in the classroom. Yes. Um, but I can't imagine what it's like in a in a super stressful environment mm -hmm. where maybe they don't feel safe or maybe they're somewhere where they shouldn't and then something happens and and it does. I think, and of course, the city mayor has nothing to do with necessarily gun control or anything mm -hmm. like that. But it does speak to, I think, a gun problem. And we I, do. And a lot of times, when when we talk about that, when I think about it, I think there. I always picture a mass shooter that's white. When I think of gun problem, mm -hmm. I think of the situation in Nashville. I think of the situation, a school shooting mm -hmm. with a semi-automatic weapon. Blah, blah, blah. But really, the gun problem also affects poor communities. I went to a funeral about three weeks ago. It's my wife's nephew. Her great-nephew killed him and two more people, maybe three the other one. I don't know if they died or not. Memphis mass shooting. It was, it's was. it been a few months ago. And going to that funeral, it, 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 it's seeing the parents, knowing the parents. And this lady had also lost her daughter in Memphis, she was driving a, a Uber, a Lyft, and some guys got in her car, and some more guys was chasing them, and they shot the car up, and the only one they killed was her. And this was her son that killed her brother. 
this gun violence, man, is out of control. These young people. And so when his mother being killed, I guess he, he, I don't know, he snapped. I don't know what happened. But he killed four, three, maybe four. I don't know if the other one died. They were in critical condition. I think there's a conversation to be had at some point there, and we can where where everybody can acknowledge. Yes, there's a gun problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Let's address both. Mm-hmm. Okay, Let, let's let's do something to it because both of those things can exist at the same. T- it doesn't have to be one or the other. Let's address both of mm-hmm. those and see if we can sort of get this thing back on track. Now, I know we've been kind of a downer with all this, with yeah. all this talk on this, so <laughs> I want to spin it back okay. and, and kind of close out with this. Mm-hmm. If you are elected mayor of Jackson, what what is the Jackson that you envision working with, serving, uh, overseeing, however you want to put it? What does that Jackson look like for you over a term? My Jackson looks like one of the safest cities in America. One of the things I would love to do is, and again, I, I keep reiterating, I want to develop a relationship between the Jackson Police Department and the community where... People are not afraid of the police. They have a, a, a they know that the, re, the police are going to respect them, that if something is going wrong, the police are going to be there to fix it. But the police are not going to be there to um, oversee or, or um, have neg- negative contact with the community. When the, poli- when the community see a police car, they should... They should be waving. Hey, what's going on? You know, uh, that's Officer Bob right there. Good guy. I know him. This is this is all. Once you get that, because as you know, I'm sure as as a high school teacher, kids don't like the police. They have no no trust in them, and they they know so many people in jail that the fear is gone. The whole purpose of having a prison system is to try to discourage people from being a part of it but if your uncle and your brother and your cousin and your are, are have been in jail you don't have a fear of it see i'm i'm still i'm afraid definitely afraid well it's become normal then at it's, that it's point, beca- right it like it's just something that it's almost like for me a rite of like, passage all my dad went to college my uncles went to college yeah. my, so i was going to college yes like that's just it's like a self-fulfilling process mm-hmm. don't question it it's normal but on the other side of that if you do have family members then you don't fear it. Then you don't fear it. It's just like, well, this is. I know if I go in there, cousin Joe, Bob, my my, my gang members are gonna protect me. Not knowing what, because when people come out, they don't tell you the whole story. Of course, they don't tell you the story. But they they have this. They're not afraid of it, and that's that's a problem that we're gonna have to fix. And by us locking so many people up for mundane and nonviolent offenses creates this scenario where everybody's been to jail. You go to, go to your class tomorrow and say, how many of y'all know somebody in jail? I bet you every hand goes up. shouldn't be like that. Right. It shouldn't be. Like, you, sh- you should be able to say, how many know somebody in college? Then all the hands should go up. Right. That's the society that I envision where young people understand that going to jail is not a rite of passage. It's something to be afraid of. I'm not going to say ashamed at this point because – when I first started, I thought it should be some shame. But when I saw what really what the problem was, these these systematic uh, hurdles, I, I I became disillusioned. And the final straw was when they arrested the lady in my office. I was like, no man. And then to see them attempt to prosecute her to the fullest, knowing 
that the victim had already, the alleged victim had already testified, I ain't give her any money. I don't know her. Never had any contact with her. And after the case, he came to me and said, man, I don't know what she did, but they wanted her. He said, they tried to, to convince me to say that she, either she did it or I didn't remember. He said that they they took me to the jail to sign my um, subpoena. He said they, they basically tried to get me to lie. I was so disillusioned, Gabe. It it was something that I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom. And I lost a lot of respect for the criminal justice system at that point. I knew then that if this happened to her, she can't be the only one. She can't be the only one. So now when somebody said they did something, a big question mark appears appears in my brain. But yeah, they're, they're, that, that trust is gone. It's gone. I have no no trust in, in this system as it exists because, like I said, if I call the police right now and say, you hit me with all these people in here, they say, they're looking, they're going to put you in handcuffs. And they, they're going to figure it out later. And this, But you're going to have to make bond. You're going to have to get a lawyer. You're going to have to go through all this stuff. And I think you know, we said that, that you're innocent until proven guilty. It's not like that anymore. You're guilty until. And you got to work. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to pay. And you got to yeah. pay to be innocent. And then to top it all off, even then they'll say, well, Mr. Gabe, i tell you what we'll do. If you just say that you hit Mr. Hubbard, we'll let you walk out of here, put you on probation or whatever. Or if you decide that you want to take this to trial, we're going to give you, if you lose, throw the book at you. we're going to throw the book and at you. And you got to spend, well, you got to spend a lot of money for an attorney or get you one appointed to you that's going to you end, end up pleading anyway. And if you lose, if you lose a jury trial, you've wasted the course time. You're going, they're going to throw, like you said, they're going to throw the book at you. And that's just, that's just, it, it, it just kind of, it has to, we have to find a better way. Well, it, it, that, that impacts people's lives. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like that is, a, I mean, a passion of yours, and mm -hmm. rightly so. Like, mm -hmm. you, you've had so much experience within that system yes. as someone who has just seen the inner workings of it. And you know what? I think anybody who runs for office should run for office because they want to make a change. Yes. Whatever that change is, mm -hmm. that's why they should be running. It shouldn't be about power or anything else. No. It should be about change, and no. you obviously want, I want something to I, change. I, I, want, I want something to change as far as how we treat people, how I treat people as far as, because if you call my office and say something, I'm going to look into it and see. I'm not saying I can fix it. I can't, I'm, the mayor's not a surgeon. He can't fix everything. But I do want to have an open door policy and have a, a situation in place where I do address the citizens' commands. And I would love for the, this community to, to vote for me as mayor. I think that I'll do a good job. I have experience. You know, I've been in, in city government 24, almost 25 years now, and I know I know the inner workings. I know who's who and what's what, and I really think that I can build a coalition between whites and blacks, Hispanics. That we have a large Arab community. We have we have different cultures in this community. I mean, they have a a, a, um, a festival every year. Yeah, the international festival. Yeah. We have so many people here. And a lot of times, a lot of people's needs are not being addressed. And it could be something just minor. Sometimes you don't have to do anything major to to fix stuff. You can do a few small things that would make people so happy. 
to live in Jackson. And that's what I want, a happy community. I want people to feel like, hey, man, we can go to Jackson and it's going to be cool. And it's not, you know, we have these nightclubs around here, man. If I was the mayor, they're, they're going to be a little upset because I'm going to have a police presence. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but we're not going to entertain. If there's more than 50 or 60 people and the alcohol and stuff is around, I'm not going to be waiting on the call. I'm going to be sitting right there going, I'm here. I'm here. I mean, it it just makes it makes sense, and and the business owners, like I said, maybe they may get a little shaken by by it because you know they, they my customers are afraid. Well, I'm sorry. Until this thing gets better, we're gonna be proactive rather than reactive, and that's what I would love to do. That's awesome. Hey, Thank you. And you know what? I know this doesn't uh, really apply to the mayor's office. But you had a hell of a jump shot twenty years ago. Well, thank you. I think I still too. got my rotation. I, 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 both of my kids shoot. My daughter played for Northside. They were thirty-one and zero and lost the last game. And I don't know if you remember, they had a, a Shay. Shay Brooks. Shay Brooks was Coached was by, uh, Joe, North. Joe North. Yes, I was one of Joe's assistants. Okay, so I, was I for five years. Yeah, really. That's I was at, at USJ. See, yeah. I was at Northside. I was one. Of, I just kind of like when he couldn't like summertime or something, he couldn't. I would do that. So I did also it at uh, Northeast Middle. So I, I did a lot of coaching out there. But uh, Shea came in late to the game, and they ended up losing to a team from Memphis to go to the state. It broke my heart. But she was such a great ball player. She yeah. was she was a monster. That's, he he would always talk to our because he came. We coached together right after that run in Northside. Mm-hmm. He would always talk about Shea Brooks always. Mm-hmm. So. Well, man, Daryl, thank you so much thank for you so much investing for in the community for as long as you have. Thank you, man. Thank I, you for doing this. It's good to sit down and talk. Anytime, man. I, I just appreciate people like you because in my estimation, it's going to be you and people like you who are going to turn this this thing around because it's going to have to be your community also. Right. And I think you are one of the bright, shining stars of your community, and that's a great thing to me man i appreciate it best of luck the rest of the way appreciate you man thank you